Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Atomic Blonde on today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Atomic Blonde is a new film, had just came out over the past weekend, and uh, it is directed by David Leach, who is the one of the directors of John Wick, number one, and is going to be, the, and is the director of the upcoming Deadpool sequel, to be coming out next year. Um, so, you know, obviously I like John Wick very, very, very much. And uh, it was received very well. And a lot of people are anticipating Deadpool 2. And I think Atomic Blonde is a very good and um, interesting stepping stone and connection between those two films. Uh, the, f- the film is also uh, written by Kurt Johnstad, uh, one of the writers for the 300 films, which I would say are not written very well. But the first 300 was quite enjoyable for me. Uh, He is also going to be the writer for Aquaman to be released next year. So again, another big film that presumably people are looking forward to. Uh, And uh, he... So Atomic Blonde has a lot of very important names attached to it, as it turns out, which I find to be fascinating. Fascinating. Um, But... Atomic Blonde, uh, starring Charlize Theron, James McAvoy, Sophia Batella, John Goodman, Toby Jones, Eddie Marsan, uh, Bill Skarsgård, James Faulkner, among others. Um, the short synopsis is an undercover MI6 agent is sent to Berlin during the Cold War to investigate the murder of a fellow agent and recover a missing list of double agents. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like a Mission Impossible film uh, without as significant as an, an American involvement as the Mission Impossible films had. And it also... <clears throat> it's, it's far more stylized and, um, than, than, the, than the average Mission Impossible film is. So it's got a lot of John Wick elements to it, as you would expect. Um, some Mission Impossible stuff going on, a lot of double-crossing, a lot of who's on what side. And beyond that, it, it's got some of the best action I've ever seen. It's fantastic. And I've seen the videos of Charlize doing all of her own stunts, and I think that's incredible. Or maybe maybe not all of them, but she, like she knows the choreography. She did many, if not all, of the fight scenes. And some of those are just absolutely brilliant to see. Absolutely brilliant. Now, I, I'd only really seen the trailer heading into this movie. I didn't know a lot about the story. I wasn't doing a lot of research about the film. I'd seen a couple of reviews here and there about people who you know, were praising the action and likening it to John Wick. And uh, you know, one review even just you know, even kind of surmised that summarized that between this and John Wick, John Wick Chapter 2, the, the, the action and the level of action and the competency of that action is just fascinating and incredible 
in comparison to like everything else that's coming out and it's technically unparalleled and I, I really agree with that I think you know the lack of you know heavy CGI you know this isn't a superhero movie this isn't Avengers defending New York this isn't um, Batman and Superman fighting against uh, you know some big ass monster or or the same for Wonder Woman or or whatever it might be this is just people with guns and and theoretically doing things that can physically be done in real life um, and and it works it works on on it works on every level in that regard so to, to so so watching the movie it is far more uh, spy intrigue than I really had given it credit to be uh, I, I wasn't aware of the formula and format of the film I didn't exactly know like I didn't know where it took place most of it takes place in Berlin I, I wasn't sure who any of the characters were even as far as like to go to Charlize Theron and, and James McAvoy who are the main characters in this movie and you know and as the film progressed and we began to discover more and more about these people their uh, their their identities came to light and it was brilliant it was absolutely um, I don't know it, it was far more interesting than I was going to give it credit for it's not a simple revenge story it is um, you know as, as the synopsis kind of su suggests uh, Charlize Theron enters Berlin she's looking for this list uh, and the list contains an identity of everyone that is a double agent during the Cold War and along the way, she interacts with James McAvoy, Toby Jones, Eddie Marsan, uh, in their in attempt to, and Sophia Botella, um, and John Goodman, as she's trying to track down the list, figure out who knows where the list is, who has the list, why, you know, there's also this added element of this character known only as Satchel in the film and uh, Satchel's identity is a huge point of interest you know um, <clears throat> and throughout the film I myself <laughs> was consistently misguessing who Satchel was and I think the film does a pretty good job of leading you in different directions as to who it could be but also <clears throat> ultimately uh, making that decision in the correct way you know, it, it's not like, oh, darn, I should have been somebody else. No, it, it, I think, in my opinion, picks the right person for Satchel to be. And Satchel is like a quadruple agent almost. You know, like so entrenched in this lifestyle that they are incapable, that it's almost impossible to know what side they're on, even at the end of the movie. You know, even when you figure out who it is, you know, they may still not be on the side you think they're on. And that's fascinating. I, I love that so much. And so the conceit of the film, you know, you, you open up with Charlize Theron uh, sitting in the interrogation room. Uh, there are clips of this in the trailer. She's generally opposite Toby Jones. Uh, John Goodman appears there as well. James Faulkner is there, but behind uh, a one-way mirror. And they're asking her about what happened in Berlin and what took place and why 
things turned out the way they did. And, you know, Charlize Theron is very beat up. She's got uh, bruises and marks all over her face. She seems incredibly sore and exhausted. And then we flash back to, you know, nine or ten days earlier where she gets to Berlin and we kind of go through that story. And occasionally we cut back to the interrogation room. And I generally, I don't know, I, I've... There are plenty of films that, that use this conceit that I've found good, that I found enjoyable, and I typically now don't appreciate it. I think you know, the last time I saw this technique used well was in the TV show The Affair. I really liked it in that sense. Um, you know, The Affair has done it like that. Uh, True Detectives has done it, uh, and, and countless films. But actually, I quite enjoyed it. I, I was really apprehensive when it first, when the film started out this way. But I think that they make it work. And I think the key conceit of this element is that you have to go beyond the present storyline. So what I mean by that is you can't just make the entire film the story up to when Charlize Theron is in the interrogation room. It has to con continue beyond that. There have to be other scenes that take place after that moment. And the film has those scenes. And I don't think they're quite as good as the rest of the film, but I think they're good enough to not let me down. And so I, that was that was a big point of, of conflict uh, as I was watching the movie. I was like, oh, shit, this is... Regardless of how good everything leading up to the interrogation room scene is, uh, it all kind of hinges on the finale and the ending final sequences being significantly capable of, of ending the film in not only a substantial and and satisfying way but tying up uh, loose ends and I think the film does that and uh, that's a point that's a definite point in its favor um, so uh, the cast is is pretty solid you know I think Charlize Theron is fan is incredible you know she's 41 she was probably 40 when she was making the film and she looks just unbelievable you know she is more than capable of everything she does in this movie and i i loved it uh james mcavoy i thought was fantastic uh you know not quite to the level of of acting prowess that he ha showed us in split but he certainly relished that role this role i think he took a, a he had a lot of fun playing this character and this character is is a little batshit insane, a little bonkers, and he and McAvoy pulls it off without seeming too campy, without seeming too unrealistic, in my opinion. You also have Sophia Botella, who uh, plays a French operative in the film, and I loved her. I, I, you know, of the films of hers that I've seen, you know, you've got The Mummy, which I think is awful. Uh, I didn't particularly like her in Star Trek Beyond, and uh, you know she doesn't really get much to do in Kingsman: The Secret Service. And I ha those are the only three films of hers I've seen prior to Atomic Blonde. Finally, saw a little bit of potential in her acting abilities in this movie. She's definitely outclassed by Theron and McAvoy, and and anyone else she starts a scene with. But I did see a little bit more potential in her than I had previously thought to be there. Then naturally you've got John Goodman, Toby Jones, 
who are kind of like higher ups in, uh, you know, Toby Jones, a higher up in MI6, John Goodman, higher up in the American uh, spy program, CIA. And they are just fantastic. You know, neither of them has quite that good of a role. You know, John Goodman looking very slim, uh, you know, as slim as, maybe not as slim as he was in Patriot's Day, but quite slim, slimmer than, than we're used to seeing him. And uh, those two are just, you know, veteran actors that, that elevate the scenes they're in. Not to mention James Faulkner, who I wish had been given a little bit more to do. But when he's there, he, he, he definitely adds a level of expertise, a level of uh, quality to those scenes. You know, he doesn't get, you know, he spends a lot of the film like behind a one way mirror, just kind of making facial reactions. And he's got a great face for that, but I wanted him to be a little bit more hands on and involved in the uh, scene in the interrogation room. I was hoping he would be, and it turns out he wasn't. And then finally, of the names that are quite notable, is Eddie Marsan. He plays a character named Spyglass who you see early on in the film, he's the one who kind of has this list from the beginning and is the one who, he's kind of the uh, MacGuffin for most of, for a lot of the film. And I, I like, particularly, there, one scene, and this is a scene uh, that I'm definitely nominating for best scene uh, currently in the 2017 Circle of Film Awards, his involvement in this one particular action scene, it's all a single take, uh, no cutting, and the fact that he's involved in that scene elevates the complexity of it astronomically. You know, he's not fighting in the scene, he's not an action star, he is simply uh, sort of a piece in the puzzle to be shepherded around by Charlize Theron and prevent from dying. Like, she's a crutch for her. He's a crutch for her. And I love that added complexity to that scene. I think that without him, the scene is still incredibly amazing, but his involvement like lifts the scene up to like near perfection levels. Like that scene, you know, I remember like sitting next to my girlfriend in the theater looking back looking at each other like holy shit, they still haven't cut the they, they're still the same shot. It's still the same single shot and and I just we were like going crazy. It's like ten minutes long. It's forever, and you know it starts in a stairwell. It eventually goes through rooms in this building until it gets outside the building. We go into a car. We're still one single shot. Ah, uh, it was it was that shot in and of itself is worth the price of admission. I I was floored by it. It was amazing. Um, so Eddie Marsan, you know he's charming and he's he's you know he has a slightly more significant role than say toby jones or john goodman i would i would say definitely more than faulkner but he uh he makes the most of it he again is another strong character actor uh, that that just kind of helps round out this cast in a, in a very nice and appreciative way so i loved all the cast I, I loved the action. I loved the set pieces, the film, the costumes. But you know, above that, I also just adored the soundtrack. There are some incredible songs in this film, and you know, even ones I wasn't really didn't know, but could 
you know, I just, they flowed through this movie so well. It was kind of like Baby baby Driver Light, in a sense. Uh, You know, it, it, it... made great use of the music, but it didn't fully incorporate it into the action, into the scenes themselves, and I think for the style and depiction of the film that Atomic Blonde was going for, that works to its favor. So, I, I, you know, I, again, that was another thing, like, I constantly commenting on how much I loved each song that they added to this movie. Uh, particularly, you know, 99 Loof Balloons is in this movie twice, and it it does a great job. There's actually there's a there's a brief segment in a news clip uh, where the reporter comments on a new wave of of something or other sweeping the nation, and that's music sampling. And the film takes place in '89, uh, at kind of the beginning of sampling music. And, you know, they give you that note and immediately your mind kind of clicks and like, well, what, like, are they playing us songs that are sampled? Are they playing us songs with sampling in them? And then you get um, that, that, uh, that core, that riff from, from Ice Ice Baby, that dun, 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 dun. But it's, it's not Ice Ice Baby, you know, Ice Ice Baby sampled that, um, and it just like that, you know that the like that riff from "Under Pressure" by Queen and 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 David Bowie is, it, it, you know, it, it just it adds that sort of like they they crafted this film really well. I was I was very appreciative of how it was crafted. So I I clearly liked it a lot. Um, I do think it had a few flaws. So it, it's far from perfect. Uh, it. it can be some can be confusing at times you know that's kind of the nature of these kind of spy thrillers action spy thrillers uh i also mentioned like some of the actors did not quite get enough to do and i think that was to the film's detriment particularly faulkner uh, and and goodman and toby jones uh they're also I can't. I can't really like fault any of like the costumes design or or any of the effects. I think those are incredible. The action is fantastic. Soundtrack across the board. Technically, I think the film uh, doesn't really have any hiccups. But I think the biggest problems are confusing plot and and, and misdirection, kind of overwhelming you at times, and as well as uh, just. Uh, it it can be I don't want to phrase this. It can be almost I, there's a, there's one particular decision in the film that I think is particularly egregious and and awful. And so like Sophia Botella's character is played up as fairly naive and and inexperienced as an operative. And there's one scene where I think they went a little far in in trying to prove that that is the case, uh, and uh, I, I it was mildly frustrating seeing that hap- that take place. So I, I really had some issues with that, but on the whole, I think this film is great. Uh, one of my favorites this year so far. 
Um, it currently has a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh. It's got a 7.2 on IMDb, a 63 Metacritic, a 3.4 average on Letterboxd. So fairly strong scores across the boards. I think I'm a little higher on it on the whole, uh, as I gave it an 83. Um, and uh, as with an 83, that puts it solidly at number six on my in uh, this year. Uh, just a, a point above Wonder Woman, two points behind Get Out. And as far as the Circle of Film Awards go, I've got Charlize in for female lead. She is currently battling uh, Allison Williams from Get Out, Gal Gadot from Wonder Woman, uh, the, the, the Salma Hayek from Beatrice at Dinner, and Rachel Weiss from My Cousin Rachel. Also, its other nomination is for Best Scene, in which it is nominated for the single take, uh, single shot, action sequence um, which is currently up against the musical gunfight in baby driver uh, the parents at the comedy show in the big sick the opening sequence in dunkirk and um shoot what's the last one oh it's gonna kill me it's uh war for the planet of the apes um, the the, the final confrontation in the War for Planet of the Apes between Caesar and the Colonel. So those are the current top five scenes for me this year. And, um, you know, clearly all these things keep changing. All top five scenes are movies I've seen in the last month or so. So, it, you know, constantly in flux. One thing I wanted to kind of say about that, particularly about the scene category, is that last year there was a huge thing where... With the, you know, the only film to sort of open the year, or in the first half of the year, that could carry through to the end, and the top scene category was 10 Cloverfield Lane, which ultimately went on to win uh, the best scene category. But beyond that, the films that were surrounding it throughout the year were action films. They were action scenes. And it wasn't until sort of late in the year when you've got films like The Handmaiden, Manchester by the Sea, La La Land, Fences, when those those were the films that were coming out and taking over the roles and the spots that were being held by action movies. And I'm noticing somewhat of a different pattern this year. I really thought when The Big Sick came out that that was going to be kind of the start of this transition because prior to that you had Logan, you had John Wick, you had Get Out, you had Wonder Woman, you have you know, Baby Driver, and then all of a sudden, in the last month or so, we've got Atomic Blonde, action film. Dunkirk, action film. War for Planet of the Apes, action film. Um, and like Baby Driver, action film. And like these are the films, you know, even like something, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy was on that list for a long time. Uh, you know, maybe if Spider-Man Homecoming had come out earlier, it could have stayed, it could have been on that list for a while. So... Now, even now, you know, again, we still have four months left, five months left in the year. So, and, you know, these, this is the time when we're going to get all these incredibly strong, dramatic movies, presumably. I'm curious to see if the same thing happens this year. You know, are these great action scenes uh, and action movies going to kind of fall by the wayside in this category to some more dramatic performances and dramatic roles? I'm interested to know. I'm interested to see that. I, I, 
I think there will be some element to that. I think it won't be quite as uh, overwhelming as it was last year, though. Um, so, that's... Uh, yeah, so currently Atomic Blonde sitting with two nominations. I feel, I think, I feel a lot more confident that it'll hold on to its scene nomination than it will its uh, Charlize Theron nomination. Uh, but that remains to be seen. Um, and that's uh, that's kind of the film. That's where we're at at this point. I I had a great time watching it. I really enjoyed this film. I'm looking forward to, you know, I'm looking forward to more John Wick. I'm looking forward to, uh, now I'm looking forward to Aquaman, to Deadpool number, number two, and uh, to kind of everything... To, I'm gonna kind of be paying more attention to uh, this. So this production crew, I think. Um, I, yeah, they said I think it's 8711 is the studio that works with these films. So they so they've worked on John Wick, they worked on John Wick 2, they did Atomic Blonde, um, but they started out with a film called Safe featuring Jason Statham, which I haven't seen. And I might want to go revisit to see kind of where this studio started and see if it's uh, at all uh, comparable to the action in these other three films that they've been a part of. Because I do think that it is some of the best action I've ever seen. And I think that's a, a big statement for, for a studio to be doing something this well at this point in sort of cinema history so with all that being said i will leave it at that and kind of uh let you guys go here um, no real big spoilers i think the film kind of speaks for itself i encourage you to go see it it it's doing decently at the box office but i think it would uh definitely benefit from a couple extra tickets not that i'm here to sell you anyway um, if you are interested in the podcast interested in me interested in the spreadsheet that everything kind of revolves around on this podcast please head over to uh, circleoffilm.com where you will find information on all those things including the circle of film awards from this year and last year uh, the scavenger hunt superlatives and much much more if you have any comments, concerns, questions, or answers, you can direct those to circleoffilm at gmail.com. And finally, as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be saying goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.